that, so is Jesus Christ. This morning I'm going to take you on a, shall we say, an educational, historical, and then theological, and then finally practical journey. So if you hang through with me on this one, I think you're going to enjoy the journey. Because Jesus said it, others tried to pervert it, and just couldn't get the job done. And thank the Lord for that. But over the years, including when Jesus was around, there was bad doctrine. Distorted truths, distorted doctrines, if you will. All of the faith, false faiths, and many people followed those false doctrines. As a matter of fact, during the time of Jesus, He had to encounter the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees who were supposed to know the law and the truths of God as they were temple leaders and teaching people those truths. He had to come against them because they were leading them astray. Thank God He brought the truth and is the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth of God. Would you agree with that? I agree with that too. But I want to share with you that at the time when Jesus was around, people began to think that what He was saying was wise, philosophical, knowledge-based statements. Jesus said He was the Logos, which is the Greek word for Word of God. But they began to take what He said as the gnosis, or the logic of God. That you could somehow know Gnosis is the Greek word for knowing. And so they would say you can know God by having this knowledge about God and then you would be aware or enlightened with the truth and therefore you could be one of the many who learn of God. Those folks who did that, especially for the first century and second century of our common era, were called Gnostics. They were very particular about what they taught and what they said. But they said all you needed was knowledge and then you could become aware and therefore you would be light and would be able to be a part of an eternity you previously did not have because you know something. But they had a problem. They didn't deal with the sin issue and they said that ignorance was deadly. That if you did not know what they knew, you were part of the outcast people. However, these folks deceived a lot of people into thinking that knowledge was the way to salvation. And the Apostle Paul had to deal with these folks. <laughs> I don't know if you ever happened to read Second Timothy, but he was dealing with the Gnostics who were uh, prevalent. And Timothy, he gave some instructions to him. I want you to hear these. These are really, really cool, uh, helpful even today. And uh, here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise, now it makes sense why he says that, wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, the Gnostics said you didn't need Scripture, you just needed to know stuff. And it's saying Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Gnostics are cringing because they said the Gospels aren't what gives life or Jesus. It's the knowledge. That knowledge is life is what they would say. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who would judge the living and the dead at His appearance and in His kingdom, preach the Word, Jesus Christ. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. And it's true that that's what's happening. We're going to see how that has become more prevalent. The itching ears and false doctrine is very relevant and prevalent today. In the historical periods of our uh, life and church, there are several. We have the ancient history, Middle Ages, the modern age, and the contemporary age, and all these have different factions in them. And all throughout our history, we see how each period gave birth to the next. I want to just focus on a couple that are more recent for us. And that is the times of the Dark Ages, the Renaissance, and then the Enlightenment or Age of Reason. And the reason I want to pull this to you is because of what they taught. The Dark Ages was considered the political and mass government control of people where it rose up that people were kept in the dark, if you will, about the truth of God. The Scripture was not translated into their language, so the church held the power. Uh, the Catholic Church ran most of the modern era in the uh, Middle East and Europe. And then... During that period also with the rise of the Chinese dynasties and all these things, but nothing much was given credence to Jesus Christ. The church had the power, but not Jesus. And this was a problem. The Dark Ages were very dark for that reason. The Renaissance period, which uh, was named for the European movement at that time, when... Vincent van Gogh and all these folks were creating these beautiful paintings. The Renaissance was an age to beauty and uh, art becoming more um, more user-friendly, if you will. Followed by the age of Renaissance, which happened around 1685 and all the way through the 1700s, was the age of enlightenment. This is when people began to get tired of tyranny, and they wanted to talk about individuality, freedom, reason, and science. This is when the greatest um, movement towards science happened and things had to be proven scientifically. This is where that all started in the age of enlightenment or the age of reason. Now, here's a problem. 
During the age of enlightenment, they believed, much like the Gnostics, that you could learn about yourself. You were an individual with a freedom away from government tyranny, and you could choose for yourself the path you could take. And as long as it made sense and was logical, it was a good path. The problem was, there was no Jesus Christ to guide that path. It was what was right for you. Almost seems like what goes around comes around, doesn't it? It's happening a lot today, and I'll get to that. The strange thing about this is that the Age of Enlightenment was actually a a great period in our history. A lot of good things came from that. It bridged, if you will, the fact that people felt they had no expression to that they could actually express themselves. As you may recall, during the Age of Enlightenment, our country was born. And it was because of the breakout of the Dark Ages that this country was formed to provide religious freedom to provide that they could worship the way they wanted to rather than government control of religion. So that helped us, if you will, to become a country. New worlds to discover. So much about life had still not been known in this world. And so, at times, it looked like, if you look back at it, progress was very, very slow. Truly, it was. And I'll tell you this, that over the last 150 years, we've had three ages flip through that quick. These others were centuries, sometimes almost uh, a whole millennia long. Amazing to see how quickly now things are progressing. You think about this for just a moment. In the last 120 years, we went from horse-drawn and railroad to cars and trucks. The railroads are almost all defunct. They don't have a lot of business. It was in the 1940s when the railroads still had their heyday because coal and all those things in this area, railroads were big. And all these little pop-up towns along the railroads are now gone. We were at uh, Tunnel Hill yesterday and I was reading the uh, Rails to Trails history. And it said there's a town called Bender. On the rails to trails, and what's left is a little bit of rubble of a foundation. It was a railroad town, now gone. And yet that happened less than a hundred years ago. Now we're talking stuff that these Renaissance and Dark Ages, they're hundreds of years long. After the uh, uh, Age of Enlightenment, or Age of Reason, came what we call the industrial age or machine age. That's when things started to grow. The printing press, the cotton gin, all these great inventions. The, yours and my favorite maybe, the gas engine. All this stuff from the age of industrialization. This age didn't last as long as the others, but it lasted longer than the one we're in, I think. The one we're in is still going. But it lasted until about 1940. At 1940 came the age of oil, which actually 
overlapped with the early 1900s when it started becoming important. But by 1940, oil was king. And that was a huge, huge age. And still, we're dependent on oil. That's why they called it the age of oil. But what happened during this time also with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the atomic age was ushered in with our friend Albert Einstein's wisdom. All this stuff happening in the 1900s. And yet, the Cold War, the World War I, the World War II, they all get a little space in history as part of an age as they change the world. And in the 60s, the space age came full force while the atomic age and Cold War were still going and one coming to a close. The space age gave way to this age, the information age. The information age, knowledge is power. What you know is most important more than who you are. And does that not sound a little bit like Gnostic? The knowledge, we're going full circle again. I, I share this all with you because in the information age, there's a little bit more going on. I want to share with you that each of these ages have no recognition of Jesus Christ. They're not saying the oil age is important because it helped us know more people about Jesus. It's just the age it was because the world relied on oil. It relied on knowledge and information now. The 1990s through 2010 and even now, I call it the age of individualization. You say, what do you mean? Well, this, this is the name of a very big website back before Facebook. MySpace. MySpace. So we began to be territorial about ourselves and began to individualize the importance of a single person to themselves and therefore they thought they were important to the world because they were who they were. Not who they belonged to. It gave way to things, brand new words we didn't have in 1990. The word selfie. Meme. <laughs> Facebook. My, me, mine, more, home, oh, me, oh my. Can you believe all this my stuff, including iPod, iPad, iTunes, iMusic, iPhone, iMe. It's all about me. Is it any wonder that the iPhone has a signature of someone taking a bite out of an apple? Is it any wonder that we've become so focused on self and whether or not someone likes us or posts enough or doesn't like what we do, that we get anxious socially over it. A new diagnosis is social media anxiety. Did you know that video addiction is the fastest growing addiction besides gaming addiction? Did you know that? And what's going to happen in the near future when virtual reality becomes augmented real reality where you can interact with things like they're actually there and not even need people. You can create your own and they'll talk to you the way that you want to hear it. Interact the way you want to interact. You won't need anybody else. 
All about you, right? There is no Jesus in any of this. There's not my Jesus, Jesus' book, Jesus' pictures. We're talking about, if you ever do Instagram or what's that, Snapchat and all these other things that take off, all the pictures are self-pictures of themselves about how wonderful they are. But isn't it funny that 99.99% of what's put up there puts themselves in the best light? Well, that's a bad picture. Let's delete it. That doesn't show my true way I want to be seen. It shows who I am, not what I want others to think I am. Do you understand? We were enlightened, but we got darker. In 1994, a movie came out called The Lion King. Huge, huge movie. Mufasa was telling his son that you need to look inside yourself to know who you are. You are more than what you've become. Look inside. And he tells him in another place, remember who you are. You are my son and I will always be with you and your father's sons. And he told him to look at the heavens and remember that those stars remind him of all of his ancestors that give him his identity. It plays well in Hollywood, but it's not Jesus. Has nothing to do with it. You can look inside yourself all you want, but until Jesus is in there, all you're going to see is what's broken. I don't know about you, but I really don't want myself to be the one that leads me into eternity with no idea of how to do that without Jesus. It really smacks of a new age reasoning that has been prevalent for a while. I, I... I'm telling you, it's really tempting to believe it. The New Age reasoning says you can be smarter, you can change your mind, and you can be a different person by changing your mind and thinking about things differently. This is true, but you also will not be an eternity with Jesus because you change your mind about things. It's still about you. Self-awareness and experience are now the main driving forces of our 20-somethings and our teenagers. And some of our 30-somethings fall in that category too. And it's tempting for us, who are even older than that, to say, yeah, me too. Because we want to experience something or we want to discredit it. Here's how it works. You ever seen someone who's going to church for the first time at a new church and they come out and say, man, I didn't, I'm not going back there. Nobody said hello. I didn't feel God there. And, uh, and, I, and that place, man, I just don't see him doing anything for Jesus. I, I don't see any reason for me to go back. What if the same mind, a changed heart by Christ, goes in that church and says, this church is doing nothing. I don't see God here. He must have called me here to help them. Amen. They're not very friendly. I think God has shown me the place I need to be to bring the light so there's more hope and joy here in this place. Yeah. Don't add to it. It's not about you experiencing it. It's about you offering Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Isn't this true? We've become so self-focused we think church is about us. Amen. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am not God. 
I'm not here to say, oh God, you know, I'm going to be blessed or I'm not coming back. I'm offended, so I can't be there. That's not what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say is if I'm offended, it means there's people that need to learn the truth about Jesus and I'm here to point it out to myself and my intolerance of it. What? My intolerance of it? I thought I was supposed to point it to them. Well, if I don't like someone who's intolerant of Jesus and or someone else, then isn't it true that I have the same problem? Absolutely. But we're making it about me and my experience rather than God and what God's trying to do in the world around us to transform. We're either an agent of growth in Jesus Christ or we're self and then we're directed. I don't know about you, but psychology has had a great draw in my life. Learning who I am, where I came from, healing the hurts, all these things have been themes And I've even used a lot of pop psychology through the years to help people change. But I forgot a part of it because I didn't know it. Abraham Maslow has a hierarchy of needs triangle. I don't know if you can see that real well, but at the bottom is the physical needs. We always say the physical needs need to be met first. Food, clothing, and shelter. Right? Have to have those... Um, as basic needs for survival. Can you see the second one? Security, safety, shelter, and stability. Once you have that, you can build on that. This is according to Abraham Maslow. The social, which is being loved, belonging, and inclusion. This is the online stuff where we think we matter because we got 15 likes or something like that. And then once we got that, then the ego. <laughs> I, that one's backwards in my head, but that's okay. Ego is where you have self-esteem, uh, power, recognition, and prestige. And then once you have that, you can move to self-actualization, which means you become complete in yourself. And if you really want to go deeper with that, self-actualization says that I've become aware of myself with knowledge and understanding of the world around me, and I interact in healthy ways. According to Maslow, the highest self you can be is to be the best you. I don't want to be the best me. That's not what I want. Because there's nowhere in there where it says Jesus Christ transforms lives. The guy who does seedbed text, daily devotional, drew that triangle. I know it looks like mine, but mine's much worse than that. And he also drew the one that's actually the truth. And he calls it the Jesus hierarchy. Or lowerarchy, actually. And he starts, this is kind of neat, he starts at the kingdom actualization. This is where you start. You start with being a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. You don't end there. You start there. You start with being one with Jesus Christ in purpose, will, and deed. And then once you get that, then your ego is, hallowed be your name. That removes ego from the picture. It's about God. My ego, gone. Next level, social. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. It's from the Lord's Prayer, in case you didn't know this. Um, Social. That means I am no longer engaging with people that I want to engage with that I'm not offended by, but rather I engage and I don't engage on my terms, but God's. 
I no longer choose who I interact with. I let God. Security. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. I don't have to be safe. God is my protector. He knows what I need. He is my shelter and my strength. His rod and His staff, they comfort and protect me. And He leads me in places where He wants me to go. I lead me in places where I want me to go, which may not be so secure. And physical is last. Give us this day our daily bread. Physical is last. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is responsible to us and for us for the daily needs of our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus flips Maslow's triangle upside down. He says you've got to have the physical needs met, Maslow does, because otherwise you can't have anything else. God says if you have that and nothing else, you've got nothing. You've got to start with something to get to the what God can add to it that you don't have to do. He says, your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness first. Amen. All these other things are built on that. But if I don't have food, clothes, and shelter, it won't matter. Yes, it will. Because your kingdom is not here. Your life is not food, clothing, and shelter. Your life is Jesus Christ. Your body needs food, clothing, and shelter. Your spirit, your eternity needs Jesus. And that's more important. It's first. And we've gotten all backwards, don't we? Why? Because that's what everybody tells us. The false doctrine. We keep looking within. (laughs) It's tough. And yet, we bought into the lie. We did. Here's the good news. The good news is that the truth and the way is findable. Jesus said, Seek and you will find. But He also said this. When Russell read this, I I don't know why I glossed over earlier reading through this. I think it's because I didn't want to hear it. But right before this it says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your fathers in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? He's talking to believers. If you being what? Evil. Oh, I'm not evil. Hello? If Jesus Christ isn't number one in my life, I have wickedness and evil in me. If I'm choosing other than God's will, evil reigns within and not God. Seek first His kingdom. Serve God, not mammon. We keep missing this because we get caught up in our survival rather than prospering in the kingdom. And so he says, if we're evil, and we are, and we know how to give good gifts, so the Father does know how to give good gifts to us. And on that precursor of that, he says, enter by the narrow gate. Right? Mm -hmm. Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many have been duped into that road. Mm -hmm. We're on... The broad path to destruction. 
Many of us believe we're on the straight and narrow, but have never found it. I don't think you want to hear that. Many of us are on the wrong path and we don't know it. Well, but I, but I believe in Jesus. So do the demons. I love God. So do other people. But do you serve God? Do you worship God? Is He your priority? Is He the number one relationship in everything you do? Or is He just an afterthought? Because God doesn't like that. Won't put up with it very long. In eternity, He won't have you. If you don't have Him here first, He won't have you there at all, is what He's trying to say. Jesus says this, Many find this broad path. It's called civil religion. You know, self-awareness, self-actualization. Say a prayer, confess your sins, and you're going to heaven type stuff. And none of that is gospel. Nowhere does it say, say the Jesus prayer, and you're going to heaven. It does not say, it says repent and believe in the gospel, and then you will be saved. And the salvation is a process of God working Himself in and you out of there. So that your will is not done but His. Many people claim they're on the path of life, but they've never found it. (laughs) They just kind of thought they were on it because people said they were. Kind of like this. I went to a Bible study. I was in a seminary. And the guy said, come on over, we're going to do a Bible study. We're going to the book of Revelations. So we went over to, I think it was a church at the time where he was hosting it. There was like 50 of us in the room for this Bible study. And he said, we're going to be in Revelation, I think it was chapter 12, I'm not real sure, but I think chapter 12. And he said, alright, now before we start the Bible study, I want you all to say after me, repeat word for word what I say. And this is what he said. He said, dear God, we all said, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need forgiveness and I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me in the name of Jesus and come into my heart. Amen. We all 50 said this prayer except for me. And this is what he said when it concluded. Now everybody who said that prayer is secure in heaven eternally. Praise God. You're good. What? That's what he said. And they all received it as truth. And I said, if I don't say that prayer, am I in trouble? He said, if you didn't say it, you're not going. That's what he said. And needless to say, I was saddened by that statement. Not that he said I wasn't going, but because he believed that that prayer being said was all it took for salvation. Shall we ever cheapen grace to that and salvation to that level? God forbid the cross was not necessary. God forbid we think that. But many people in that group now believe they were on salvation terms, all going to be together in heaven one sweet day, got a mansion over the hilltop, and they're all going. But that's dangerous waters to tread in, and that wide road pulls a lot of people in. It's just not true. It's just not true. Nowhere does Scripture say that. 
Jesus is very clear that we seek the kingdom of God first, last, and always. If we are not doing that, that area of our life is not lining up with the will of God and it's deterring us from finding the straight and narrow. Why? Because anybody can say a prayer and still have fruits of destruction and lies and deceit and manifest all sorts of wickedness. Just because they repeated words after somebody does not mean they're a believer. Does not mean that. It's the transforming work of the Holy Spirit inside a person that shows you belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, bears witness with your spirit that you belong to God. The Holy Spirit bears witness. Not someone who said you just said a prayer. The Holy Spirit does. Does your life manifest selfish interests? Or or are you showing an investment in the lives of people around you? Including neighbors and strangers. And people you don't necessarily care for or want to be around. Do you invest in them? I don't know about you, but one of the saddest things I've ever heard in the church was this. This person doesn't need to come here. They don't dress right. That's what I heard one time. Nowhere in Scripture did I ever read that it says, Thou shalt go to hell because you are not wearing the right color shirt. (laughs) Nowhere does it say you will be cast out because of what you wore unless it's not the bridegroom's garments that he's given you. But I heard that before in several different churches and I looked at the person and I said, I guess I'm not welcome here on Monday through Saturday because I don't wear a suit those days. Do you know what the response was on one church where I said that? Keep a spare suit in your car. Wow. Yeah. Oh, really? Now. Yeah. The church. Yeah. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, you want to change the person's mind, but they don't want their mind changed. Broad is the path of destruction. Do we live in comfort zones or has the love of God compelled us to move beyond them? Narrow is the road that leads to life I don't know how to say this any other, but this ought to perk your ears up. Mm -hmm. This is not itchy ears kind of good stuff. This is the kind of stuff where you'd go, Pastor, if I don't get anything else, what is it? It's this. Phew. Find it. Mm -hmm. But we all sit here complacent saying, I'm one of the few. How do you know? The word find will give you the clue. The word find means you looked for it. You sought for it. And the word here is like someone looking for buried treasure and are not sure where it is. It's like seeking with all that you are and giving all your resources until you get there. I'm not going that way until I know for sure this isn't the right way. I'm going to find this thing and I'm going to seek for it. Remember, Jesus starts with ask, seek, and you will find. You must look for God. Look for the way that He's called us to walk on. 
and then walk in it. He says being evil, we can go the wrong way, but if we seek it, God will give us the direction we need. I don't know what made Gnostics happy. I don't know what makes atheists happy or agnostics. Agnostics are those who say there's no evidence for or against God. They're just in the middle. I don't know what makes New Agers happy or people who think they're self-actualized happy, but I know this. True joy. Charisma. A bounteous, abundant life is only found in Jesus Christ. And that is what you continuously seek for to find it. The word findable means able to be located. You have to look for it. The problem is most aren't looking. They think they're already there. Please do not be complacent enough to think it's all good because you have food, clothing, and shelter. It's not all good because of that. It's only good when your spirit witnesses with the Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit in you, and says, I belong. And I choose this more than anything else. Here's how I'd close this with a very simple statement. If it's important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse.